Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host Jason Knight and this episode is part of a special triple bill where I talk to some inspiring women in product about their journeys, challenges, hopes and aspirations. Now I'm sure there'll be some people who complain, hey what about men in product, where's the organisation for them? And of course the answer is, there is one. It's called product. Women are criminally underrepresented in tech and product, underpaid, undervalued and career restricted pretty much across the board. Now I appreciate that it's a bit rum of me, a middle-aged white straight cis man, bringing this message, and I agree. I've never been discriminated against in my life. But if I can be an ally and use my voice to help amplify those of others, I'm all in. I'm not expecting to change the world, but all of us should be doing our very best to affect change one conversation at a time. I shall do my very best to avoid inadvertent mansplanations or correctile dysfunction. In this episode, market the heck out of it, I speak with a fintech product manager about being nominated for Women in Finance Top 100, some of the barriers in getting noticed in a male-dominated working culture, and some of the approaches she's taken to open up opportunities for herself, and some of the advice she has for the upcoming stars of the future. So let's get started with One Night in Product. So my guest tonight is Priyanka Naik, fintech product manager, startup mentor, speaker, influencer, proud member of Women in Finance Top 100. Also hates small talk and speaking on the phone, so I'll try my best to talk as big as possible. Hi Priyanka, how are you tonight? Hi Jason, I'm good. Thanks for the very quirky int- uh, introduction that you gave. I like to give people, I like to set the scene. Um, so let's ki- let's kick things off. Uh, you're currently working as a uh, growth product manager at a company called Adverisk. So uh, so who are Adverisk and uh, what problem do they solve? Sure. So Adverisk is a forensic intelligence platform. Uh, it's a data-driven forensic intelligence platform, and we are using some uh, advanced uh, data analytics and machine learning to fight frauds, fight and prevent fraud. So we are basically partnering with bankers and lenders, and we give them detailed uh, credit uh, due diligence, which is based on the modern data points, contemporary data points, rather than the traditional models. Okay, and, and does that mean that you've had to get quite heavily involved in some of the data science stuff, or is that something that you just have a team to do? Like, how how much of a data scientist has that made you? Yeah, so I have a team that looks into the heavy stuff of data science, but uh, I understand it from a very uh, very high level. I would say I understand what it does, how it impacts the business, and uh, what what value are we, what exact value are we bringing to the team, and rest of the technicalities are handled by the team. Yeah, I mean, I'll say that um, I, I you know, in my company, we use a lot of data science and sort of natural language processing and stuff. And uh, and I'm definitely not a data scientist, but it's been fascinating uh, kind of getting into that world and understanding some of that stuff because uh, there's just so much to learn. But I, I would definitely not claim to be an expert in that. Um, and, and so how do you help uh, Avarisk solve the, these problems? And, and, and what sort of products are you working on at the moment? So I look at the entire life cycle of the product. So currently, this is the product that I'm working on, wherein we do some credit due diligence uh, for banks and financial institutions. And I own the complete life cycle right from the ideation stage up to the delivery stage. And I uh, I have a big team. I have a team of designers. I have a team of developers. And uh, I even interact with the stakeholders. I, in fact, I even uh, dabble a bit in business development and I give pictures to investors as well. So I've done it all over here. So I have the, I'm, in effect, actually, I'm the chief generalist uh, person over here, I would say. So you get, you get involved in a bit of everything. Which, which of those things is, is the thing that, that moves you most, would you say? Or, or do they all move you the same? 
so actually i'm a generalist by nature so everything so i like uh, doing all things in uh, equal capacity but at the same time i do not like uh, going deep into any one of them <laughs> so my strength is actually in you know coordinating 10 different things at one time that's great and you refer to yourself on uh, on on linkedin as a as a as a growth product manager now, obviously, uh, in theory, I, I would argue that all product managers should be trying to grow their products. But how would you classify a growth product manager versus other types of product manager? And, and, and what are the big differences for you? Uh, so in some of the larger companies, the uh, roles that are, uh, so the person who is looking after growth and the person who is looking after the product are usually different. So uh, the product person is usually looking at, you know, what features should we ship or whether we are meeting the client needs or not. And uh, it uh, all, all it all depends. So he works on basically connecting the dots between the technologists, the designers, the end user, and making all things work in the right fashion. But at the same time, his job is not really to growth hack it. I would say so. His job is not to you know get uh, your first thousand customers or get your first one lakh customers or you know uh, get get into new geographies. That is not the typical task that he does. But over here, I'm looking into both aspects because, as I said, this is a small company, so I look into multiple aspects over here, and growth hacking is also one of the things that I look into. Okay, so you're actually doing uh, the proper, proper old-fashioned growth, growth hacking, like go, go just doing whatever you can to to just increase the uh, the reach. Is that is that fair to say, or like because growth hacking is like a, a in itself a growth industry in, in kind of marketing and stuff now like there's there's all these different approaches that people are talking about about how to drive awareness and, and drive uptake is, is that the sort of thing you're talking about yeah it's a multidisciplinary thing i would say so growth hackers are more of a more of an engineer i would say rather than a marketer because he needs to understand things from a product perspective now say if i have to give it to the first uh, 100 customers if i have to get my products to the first 100, 100 customers i need to have some uh, specific product features as well which can uh, which can actually convert those people you cannot just go with a very shoddy product and you know you can uh, expect people to sign up on that product so it usually doesn't happen so growth people also need to understand what works for the uh, what works for the customers and how how it could be backtracked or backtraced into the product how all, all of those features can be incorporated in the product and at the same time he has to he has to have a good uh, knowledge about marketing as well so it's an integrated field i would say uh, it comes somewhere between the product and marketing but it's not exactly uh, one of them okay that's that uh, yes that's really interesting and lots of really interesting points there but given the like i i've looked obviously at your your background and you you've you've worked in in a few different types of places you've had some very strategic roles and obviously now you're working uh, in in growth product management, what of all of the things that you've worked on, what what's what would you say was the favorite thing or or the thing that you're the proudest of or the thing that has made the most impact that you would stand behind? Okay, so if I talk about my current role, I have given a few pitches over here and I've won those pitching competitions, which has you know uh, uh, propelled the startup into a very global phenomenon. So before that, it was just a very Indian startup, I would say. And now it is being known like across borders as well because I am a global person by nature. I have a global outlook towards things and that is somewhere uh, getting reflected in how the company is growing as well. Yeah, so you referred to yourself as a, as a global citizen on, um, uh, on, on your LinkedIn profile. Yeah. So uh, when you say global citizen, does that mean that you just like to live in different places and experience different cultures or, or, or does that mean something different to you? So I don't believe in uh, the man-made borders, I would say. So I, so I, so if I want to work anywhere in the world, I should be able to go there because everything else is, you know, we have just created some boundaries for ourselves, which need not be there. 
that's what i feel so i i do not think at all like you know i am an indian i mean i am definitely proud to come from this part of the world but at the same time i do not think that i should be restricting myself to this country only because you know i've been born here i i like to explore things i like to uh, mingle with people all around the world and i also like to and whenever i try to give back to the society even i do not think that i just want to give back to india or i just want to give back to some other place i just think globally like i think every person needs to be treated as a person and not because of his race or you know uh, because of his country or any 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 other uh, fact i would say yeah i completely agree and there's obviously a long history of uh, artificial borders that you mentioned kind of causing quite a few problems so i can definitely stand behind that yeah yeah and especially in this digital age everything is going global and everything and uh, i i'm actually a very very fond of uh, you can say remote working or uh, the digital nomad lifestyle and i uh, i actually see myself doing that a few years down the line i'm not re- yet ready yet but uh, at the same time i see myself you know just working from different parts of the world and having an online business or something of that sort so yeah you said before this uh, this call that uh, you were a big fan of working at home and seemed that in many ways you actually preferred it yeah so has has the lockdown affected you at all like has that really made any difference or has it been kind of business as usual actually i'm happy i mean the lockdown uh, has been a boon for me i would say because uh, the remote working and work from home cultures have actually suddenly you know uh, seen a seen an upswing because otherwise people would never have even thought that you know working from home is even possible because a lot of people like interacting with people and but i have always enjoyed solo work i have been a solo i am a lone ranger i would say so i enjoy you know just working from home with the, with the, within the comfort of my home and i, I just li- like it this way and this this has been a dream of mine which has just come true due to some <laughs> yeah yeah and in, in, in the worst possible circumstances i guess but yeah, um, yeah. I guess even though i don't like the circumstances that led to this but uh, i'm happy about the outcome i would say i mean outcome just with respect to the work yeah of course and one of the things obviously that comes with uh, working from home and and everyone working remotely is uh, kind of collaboration issues and making sure that people are working as effectively as they could if they were in a in a room together now mm-hmm. obviously there are loads of tools that 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 help to do that these days and and it's definitely much better than it's ever been in the past but are there any top tools or or approaches that you like to use to drive collaboration remotely or is because i know for example you say you don't really like talking on the phone <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh are there other approaches that, that that you like to 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 bring into the workplace and and make sure that everyone's aligned so i believe in playing to my strengths okay so yeah uh, it's true that i do not like talking on the phone a lot but i also empower other people so i uh, so there are some junior product managers who are working under me as well so i empower them to you know if they like uh, so if they prefer talking to people they can they can be doing that and at the same time when it's absolutely necessary i definitely go on a call it's not like no call ever kind of a thing with me <laughs> but i try to definitely tone it down as far as possible i do not uh, mindlessly block people's calendar or my calendar with uh, all the calls unnecessary calls i usually avoid that and i try to do things with the message as far as possible so i'm also a person who would type two paragraphs on whatsapp rather than you know picking up the call and just telling him things for two minutes <laughs> but yeah, yeah i go a... to great lengths to avoid calls but at the same time uh, there are people who can do that better so i leave it up to them so it's good so far yeah there's this big thing that i've been reading about well i mean i don't know if it's a big thing but there's a thing that i've been reading about on on a few kind of thought pieces recently around the the benefits of asynchronous working and kind of 
getting away from having to have calls and meetings about everything, but actually being able to, like you say, just drop a message yeah. and then get a message back when the person's ready. And as long as the outcome is the same, I guess that's absolutely fine. But I do also know that that's not for everyone because like you say, there are some people that just like to to deal in more traditional ways. So I guess it's just about finding your level. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just an understanding between two people. So I know that uh, I know people in my team who like talking on calls. I know people in my team who would prefer just having a message. So I just work according to them as well. It's not like it's not like I am very rigid about th- this thing. Whenever it, it is required, I definitely get on a call. But I try to minimize uh, it as far as possible. Mm-hmm. Now, you've been listed in the uh, Women in Finance Top 100. In your words, what what is women in finance, and 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 how did you get onto that list? So I would say um, you would find very few women in general. Like the percentage wise, it's definitely very low. I would say I think it's less than thirty percent of women representation in this field. And secondly, I have also been someone who has actively branded myself for I have self marketed myself. I would say over uh, over the last five to six years. So that is how that that is what helped me get noticed in the first place. So it it, it I would just say that uh, one thing led to the other. So I was very active on social media. Then I got uh, invited to a few shows, and then I was also a part of the Money Twenty Twenty Accelerator, uh, which had selected thirty women from around the world. So one thing led to the other. So I got selected into one. Then I got noticed by someone else. Then I got noticed by the third person, and the th- uh, the benefits kept compounding. So it's all about taking that one first step, I would say. And a lot of women do not do that. A lot of people do not do that, in fact. So there are a lot of people who are working in my company who are relatively unnoticed, I would say, because they have not done anything to make themselves stand out or, you know, or get involved in the larger community of fintech. So they are just doing their work, but they are not they are not showing their, showcasing their work to the world. So it's a lot of things, I would say. But at the same time, definitely I have done a few things right and it has led me to where I am today. And the percentage of women who are already, who are doing what I am doing today is very few. <laughs> so, and and then is the mission of, of women in finance as as an organisation is it is it to kind of help share those stories and and promote the, the the idea of women working in in these industries is is that the the short version of that or or is that is it something more more nuanced than that? I think it's more to do with encouraging women to you know come forward. So if you actually reward one person, uh, one woman who is in maybe who is a senior manager or in two senior manager roles, so she will feel more encouraged to maybe you know shoot for uh, something higher. So I would say before even before I was selected into Money Twenty Twenty, which was my first global uh, recognition, I would say. So even before that, I never used to think that big. Like I was just happy within my company or within the shell that I was living in. So I never thought big. But uh, once I got that, then I thought that I, I can do some things more. And then one thing led to the other. It increases your confidence, I would say. So if you reward some women who are already doing well in fintech, if you if you encourage them, if you give them re- the right tools, they would they would themselves feel motivated to do something more. Right. So it's like a support network in a way to to help uh, promote the interest of, of women in the industry. Yeah. So even uh, so, uh, so if you talk about the major differences between men and women, so women have a lot of imposter syndrome, like it is uh, much higher in percentage compared to men. And uh, they do not feel very confident. They do not speak up in boardrooms. They do not voice their opinions. And there are a lot of other things. But if you give them confidence that, you know, you're as good as any other man in the uh, world of fintech, then they would definitely start speaking up. They would start doing things which traditionally men do. And eventually the gap would uh, reduce, I guess, at least to some extent. 
Well, yeah, that's what we all hope, obviously. But uh, I imagine there are still a few barriers for the short term, at least, and probably a bit longer than that. But you've touched on a really important point because obviously in tech in general, there's a really classic lack of diversity. And and I'm taking from what you've said that there's a similar lack of diversity in in finance and fintech as well. Um, So how has that affected you? Have there been any main challenges that, that you've had to overcome in your career? I mean, I'm assuming... That there, that there, like, is a general underlying challenge. But, but, are there any kind of key, uh, kind of key callouts that that have really helped shape your uh, thinking in that area? Uh, I could say one of such incidences were, I mean, one, one such incident was actually a turning point in my career. So I was in one of the uh, one of, in one of my old, older companies, which I don't want to name. So they were pretty open with their discriminate, uh, discriminatory policies. So it's like, you know, you. Uh, so I was in a tech, uh, I was in the tech industry. I was working on a, in the operations team, I would say. And uh, when you're working in that team, like you have male and uh, females who are in equal proportion, but when, uh, when an uh, opportunity comes for something uh, that is of high visibility, like say you have to visit the client side or if you have to work in night shift or something like that, then it's like, you know, women cannot do this. So, you know, uh, men will do do it. And then eventually men tend to get promoted and women tend to get sidelined. So over a period of time, what happens is like women are always channeled into support roles and men are doing all the high visibility stuff. And being the ambitious woman that I always was, so it was never acceptable to me. And I decided that I should take charge of my own career. So I tried negotiating even over there that, you know, this is not fair. So you should not hire uh, women if you are not willing to promote them. I mean, I definitely categorically told them, but uh, uh, there was not much I could do about it because I was uh, very much a junior employee over there. So, But it definitely shaped my worldview of how things work and how blatant discrimination can be at some workplaces. And I have made it a point that uh, I'll not tolerate any such behavior in future. And now I'm pretty vocal about whatever I feel and I do get opportunities, you know, and I do get a lot of opportunities within my company. I get what I deserve now because I asked for it. Yeah, I mean, that's that's obviously a really, really great outcome for you because it, it feels like, certainly from, from my perspective, listening to stories from other women in the past that, you know, basically telling exactly the same story as you, uh, and so few women in in sort of leadership positions, and uh, so so few people that don't conform to basically just the kind of typical kind of you know middle class white male as it would be over here. Like that that's like you, you look at so many companies, and that's just that's just the entire leadership of the of the company. So I yeah. think that anything that that sort of shows that that is moving in any direction is obviously a massively hopeful story. So so I know that there are some topics around diversity that you're also passionate around especially around neurodiversity as well is there is that something uh where you're kind of looking at any particular areas or or are you just interested in that as part of diversity and inclusion as a general subject uh yeah i definitely believe one of the areas that i'm passionate about is neurodiversity because i feel there are a lot of people who are on the autistic spectrum and especially there are a lot of autistic savants if you have heard of it if you have heard of the term so these people are actually brilliant in some of the tasks, you know, like they might be extremely good at maybe say music or they might be extremely good at mathematics or there will be at least one area where they, they, they must be exceptional. But because of their limited social uh, capabilities or uh, limited, you know, ways of interacting with the world, so they are not able to express that. They are not able to convey their genius to the world. And that is how they tend to get discriminated. They tend to get, you know, they're they're misunderstood i would say so you should give them a chance you should give uh, if their skills align with your team 
so i think it helps to have maybe like a psychiatrist or someone in your team who can you know really judge the capabilities of these people whether they can really bring some fresh perspective to your team and especially in creative teams like say marketing or pr or communications uh, having autistic people or anybody who is a neurotypical person can help you go a long way because they have some brilliant ideas which are uh, which can actually change the world if you ask me so yeah i had an interesting chat a few weeks back with a, an autistic product manager who was talking very openly about some of his challenges in the workplace and some of the some of the things that that, that he's had to face in his career and i think so much of what you've just said really matches what he's said and I think that, that what I got out of that conversation and, and again, what you've said is that it's all about leveling the playing field. Yeah, we've talked about it now for women and we've talked about it for you know people with neuroatypical conditions and just making sure that everyone's judged on their merits and not judged on um, kind of predefined prejudices that uh, that frankly should all be consigned to history. Yeah, if you judge a person just by a like say 50, 30 minute interview that would definitely be a lot discriminatory I would say because anybody who is not able to express themselves well can lose out even though he might be really exceptional, you know, in his real life. So there there should be some holistic uh, assessment that could be done by companies and there should there should be a very proactive uh, step that they should be taking, you know, th- that they have to make up for those neurotypical people. who could uh, who could contribute greatly to their teams and this is especially true of uh, creative fields i would say and do you think this is something that is getting better in general from your experience like across all different types of diversity or do you think that it's something that where there's still lots to do or that certain groups that are not being treated as fairly as they could be either globally or or in india where where you're working at the moment Um, so if i talk about india the awareness related to autism or any kind of mental mental situation is not very open okay so indians are not even officially diagnosed in most of the cases so it becomes very difficult to even recognize that you know someone might be facing these problems i mean they they can see the problems but they do not know why why is is that person you know behaving different or what is the problem that is uh, that is engulfing that person So I think in these respects the other countries are much better because at least people must have been officially diagnosed maybe in their childhood or maybe in their early adulthood I do not know and if they are diagnosed then uh, treatment becomes easier or coping up becomes easier but in there are a lot of countries where there is a lot of stigma related to all of these things and it goes unnoticed or undetected for a longish period and that's where the challenge crops up because people do not even know that you know they are autistic or they have some, some problems unless it is very unless it is very prominent uh, in their behavior you wouldn't even know that you know that person is autistic or he is having a learning disability or anything yeah so again just just trying to make sure that that people in in the workplace have the ability to um to have the ability to at least understand the broad concept so that they can maybe identify signs and 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 kind of take people for what for what they are rather than what people think they should be so for example i can't imagine what it would be like to be autistic going into a job interview with someone who didn't know how to handle an autistic person because i don't imagine that that interview would go very well because the person who was doing the interviewing would be looking for all these different social cues which someone you know on the autistic spectrum would not be able to necessarily give and that's probably going to end up you know not that great for that for that candidate because of course this person that's doing the interviewing and again it's not just about autism it's about if you're a woman going into a a job interview for a high powered role and you're being interviewed by a bunch of men yeah. i'm sure that there's going to be i'm i mean have you been in situations like that where you've been like sat in front of a, a sea of men in front of you all, uh, interviewing you for a position and and 
and how how how's how's that worked out for you so so i think uh, things were bit uh, i was i was in a bit favorable position in that respect because i already had a very strong profile which usually sets the <laughs> sets the ground for me but yeah uh, especially for the roles that i'm looking for like i'm a product manager so product manager roles usually involve like you know four five rounds of interviews and it's very it's grueling actually the interview process in general is very grueling but luckily i have uh, i have trained myself uh, and i'm confident because i've done a lot of things which already sets me apart from a lot of people but uh, everybody else needs to build up that confidence i would say so start having some small wins in your uh, in your profile initially and then let uh, go on to get some bigger wins i'm sure like as i uh, move up the corporate ladder or as i move up uh, positions i'm definitely going to be in situations that you mentioned wherein i'll be in a, in uh, rooms full of men and it it could be intimidating because actually i'm already doing a lot of things which are well above my deemed age or capabilities i would say so uh, going forward like if i grow at the same pace then things are going to get difficult for sure yeah i remember a story once that a, a friend of mine told me who she she was uh, working for a company and she was relatively high up in the kind of the corporate structure and she was invited on to the hiring panel for that company so that whenever any new senior hires were made she was there as uh, kind of a female representative on on the hiring panel in all these meetings but in so many of these interview processes she was a woman on a hiring panel interviewing only men which obviously is you know <laughs> it's, it's just interesting because you'd assume that whilst she's obviously going to have really valuable input on that uh, at the same time you'd imagine that that the problem with interviewing isn't that women aren't interviewing men it's that women aren't interviewing women yeah and that's that's where the the disconnect actually this is a very yeah this is a very tricky situation because one of my friends who is in canada she's in a fairly good position so she used to mention that she used to advocate for women just because she needs more diversity in her team but she used to get reprimanded for the same like her seniors used to tell that you should uh, take the best person for the job and not women but she was conv- but she was trying to convince her boss that you know this woman is really good but probably she was not able to put her points in the right way during the interview but she can do the job so it always becomes a tussle actually if, even if i try to advocate some other woman in my company i will have to justify why this woman and why not some other guy so it becomes tough to convince people that she can really do a better job than this guy i mean the woman needs to be like really exceptional to be uh, to be really you know chosen over a guy i would say I mean, all other things being equal, she is more likely to get passed up for anything, be it an interview or a promotion or anything. Yeah, and that, that that's actually something that comes up a lot when you you kind of look at different uh, kind of studies and 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 different sort of thought pieces from people that work in the kind of diversity spaces. Like people will use the fact that that a woman is in a position or a person from an ethnic minority is in a position. And they they kind of use that as an excuse to say, "Hey, look, it's fine because that woman or that guy is 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 in that position." But it's like, like you say, they have to be so good to get there yeah. that uh, that that it's not a fair comparison. That's definitely something that that needs to change and and can't change soon enough, as far as I'm as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. You're passionate about team building, and one of the things that that I saw in your profile, which I really liked, was uh, the team winning gives you joy. Uh, and another, the, the buck always stops with you. Um, so 
What are some of the approaches that, that you take yourself to build uh, truly effective teams? Okay, so some of my personality traits actually help me do this job better. I would say I'm, I really get good feedback as a manager, just as a manager, I would say. So like I said before, like I, I dabble into a lot of things, like a lot of departments, I would say within the company, but I do not do too deep into anything. But that also works in my favor because I, I do not uh, tend to interfere with what people are doing. I let them do experts do what they are good at. And at the same time, I know enough to help, hold them accountable. Like, it's not like they can just uh, do say anything to me and they can get away. I, I do understand everything what they are doing. Like, I understand the final output or how it's helping the business. But at the same time, I do not get too deep to, you know, micromanage them. So I do not do that. So that uh, usually works in my favor. So I do not uh, I do not micromanage people. But at the same time, I... I assign some good KPIs and good some good performance indicators, which could, which could help me properly assess what is happening in the team, and that uh, and I make sure that uh, I am moving the needle, that my team is moving the needle. So okay, so giving them the the kind of as as much autonomy as you can to get the job done, yeah. uh, which is obviously something that every single decent management book these days will will, will tell you. So um, definitely agree with that. Um, and you said you had a big team. I mean, how, how many people are you working with at the moment, or how many people are you directly responsible for? If I include the interns, then it should be around 15. Otherwise, the full-time employees are anywhere between 5 to 8. Okay. So I guess as the team grows, then the, the challenges, of uh, they, they just magnify because, of course, you need to you know, make sure that everyone's aligned and there's this... Yeah, but in that case, what I would do is like I, I, uh, I actually would have one manager among them as well. <laughs> Like I usually work in that yeah, yeah. way. So I'll assign a spoke or something like I had a team of five interns coming from one of the local colleges. So I told them you assign a spoke and he will be answerable to me for whatever the whole group does. So that usually allows me to offset some of the workload because this one person will take the entire responsibility that the work is getting done and he'll report to me that, you know, this is getting done. So it's not like I'm, ha- so even if I have 50 people tomorrow in my team, it, it will not be like I'm directly interacting <laughs> with 50 people. But maybe I'll be interacting with, say, five people or ten people at the most. Uh, and everything else will be, again, delegated. Even the management, to some extent, will be delegated. Yeah, I think uh, the, the thought of having 50 people reporting to me directly, sound, that just makes me feel kind of... Yeah. <laughs> not doesn't make me feel too good. Uh, but, yeah, I agree. Like, you, you want to kind of have trusted uh, lieutenants that can, can, can really help on a day-to-day basis. And, and then you're sort of sitting there kind of coordinating at the, at the top, I guess. Yeah, it always helps. Like actually having that person accountable will also make him more responsible for and everybody else who is reporting to him will also feel, yeah, I should be doing, you know, work. It should not be like one person is, you know, uh, dividing their attention between so many people and it should, it never works, I, I feel. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen any uh, good examples of that, to be honest. Yeah. So you've also recently started mentoring for uh, a UK charity focused on increasing career opportunities for migrants. Yeah. Um, so I personally a strong believer in mentoring as a concept. Um, but how did you get into that charity specifically and, and, and how's it going? It's going good. So it's actually I have mentored only two people from that organization till date. It's also because like I did not get any more requests. So the founder of that organization, which is Mentoring Leaders, reached out to me asking that, you know, you can be a good mentor to our uh, uh, the migrants who are who we are actually helping. So I just decided to go on board because I like uh, helping people. I like talking to people and all of those things. So I just decided to go on board and it was just like that. Like, So I get a lot of inbound interest for a lot of things. Like, you know, it could be anything for mentoring or uh, for speaking, speaking opportunities. So like, I get a lot of inbound interest. So 
it works organically i'm not actively chasing all these opportunities in fact my calendar is still booked with all the uh, inbound opportunities itself so i do not have time to you know actually go on to some other organizations and pitch myself as a mentor sounds like that um all that personal brand building that you've been doing over the years has started to pay off if you're getting uh, all of these inbound uh, yeah. inquiries yeah. And have you ever been mentored yourself? Have you, uh, have you ever entered a mentorship program and, and, and been the mentee? So actually, the whole reason why I feel strongly about mentoring is because growing up, I did not have anybody to guide me. You know, like I was a very average person uh, till the time I graduated, I would say, which was like around uh, five to six years back. And it was mainly, it was not like I was not ambitious enough, or but I did not know what to do. <laughs> it was as plain as that. Like I did not know what, what things are out there or, you know, I was not inspired enough. I did not have good role models around me. So I would want to change that for someone else. And I do not have any good mentor even now, I would say. Even though I consult a lot of people uh, on an ad hoc basis, like I have some good people in my network, but they're not officially mentoring me. Yeah, I think actually what what you said about kind of having no one as you were kind of coming up, I think that's something that I completely, um, I, yeah, I, I can completely sympathize with that because I mean, from my perspective, I, I dropped out of university early, uh, just wasn't wasn't working out, and had to kind of start at the bottom and 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 work my way up, and and yeah, it was definitely difficult because a you feel that you failed. Obviously, that's not something that you would have felt, but that was something that I felt. And you need someone to tell you that it's going to be okay. And you need to kind of use their experience and the fact that they've been through some of these things to help you understand that no matter how bad things are feeling at the time, that actually they're probably going to be okay. I mean, I emphasize probably, but still, you know, and and actually coming up through my career and kind of feeling a bit kind of from time to time either that I wasn't progressing quickly enough or that I was working on the wrong things or I didn't understand what the purpose of things was and just having someone to to just put their arm around your shoulder uh they you know that 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 just feels like a really important thing and and one of the reasons why I'm so personally keen on mentorship as well is just to make sure that yeah I have the same reasons I would say and I have faced the same similar problems which you mentioned so I can totally understand where I'm coming from and at the same time, I would also like to highlight that a lot of mentors who tell th- that they are mentors, they are not actually doing it very selflessly. Like, that's my personal experience. <laughs> I mean, it's probably just a, another t- uh, checkbox on their PR checklist. Maybe I do not know. But uh, a lot of people are not very selfless. And that has, but I try to be like as selfless as possible. Like, I've really helped a lot of people even now. Even the people who have been interns in my company, they they I still help them, like I'm still in touch with them. I help them, you know, find something or the other. Precisely because I never got that from anybody else. I'm still waiting for that mentor, that kind of a mentor myself. But uh, at least I can be that uh, mentor for someone else. I'll be happy. Yeah, it's this whole paying it forward concept as well. And hopefully you'll find someone to pay it forward to you um, in the near future. Maybe off the back of this uh, podcast, who knows? Yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So you also appear to be a strong proponent of uh, growth mindset. You, you you seem to be quite interested in learning and and, and self development. Yeah. Um. Well, what what are some of your kind of key takeaways for like the maybe the best ways for that that you've come up with to kind of learn and and to never stand still. So I just keep myself abreast with everything that is happening in my industry. I'm passionate about what I'm doing right now. So it's not like I'm in a job that I hate or something. Uh, currently, I would say in my current situation. So I'm just trying to be, uh, I just try to get better at what I'm doing. And at the same time, I also have aspirations to start up something of my own in future. 
so maybe i'm trying to learn the ropes from the the very best in my industry and how they are handling things and how they are doing what they are doing and for that i try to be very active on social media that's my preferred medium but it definitely differs from a, from a person to person because i have a lot of friends who just hate looking at you know twitter all the all day or hate looking <laughs> at facebook all day so it really depends on the person uh, so there are people who uh, prefer audiobooks there are pe- people who prefer podcasts but i am more of a social media person so so i just i just go on to twitter i i am already following a lot of people who are my role models or who are doing things that i want to do in future so that uh, keeps me pretty much uh, updated about what is happening and at the same time i am also able to showcase my work to the world so it works both ways for me yeah i i mean from my perspective it's all about mixing up i mean i yeah i i like to 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 keep abreast of social media i think it's really important uh, obviously also reading articles and and listening to podcasts and stuff but i mean you've you've got quite the following on social media as i see i mean you've got like uh 20 plus thousand uh followers i think on twitter and and on on uh, linkedin so you you've got your and obviously but also on on twitter i've just checked i think you're following more people than uh than than yeah. are following you yeah. so something like 20, 26,000 people. I can't imagine for a second um, how you can actually keep up with, with 26,000 uh, people's worth of content. But I think it's it, from your from what you just said, like just following kind of heroes and, and mm-hmm. following kind of mentors or not mentors, but, you know, following inspirational people is, is, is definitely a definitely a one valuable approach yeah actually when i say following yeah i'm definitely connected to a lot of people but at the same time when i follow news i usually do it via hashtags it's not via you know it's not like i'm reading the home page of my uh, twitter feed <laughs> because obviously that can get a little messy i can understand that but i am specifically looking at people who are into fintech or who are into product management those are like maybe 100 people at max I I know even that sounds a lot but uh, I follow those people yeah <laughs> And uh, any advice for up and coming aspiring uh, product managers or or people that are trying to get into fintech Just uh, be good at what you're doing that's a no brainer but at the same time also showcase your work because that has worked for me definitely if you look at my profile like I do not have any Ivy League degree for that matter okay like I do not have LSE or any any big com- uh, any big college name attached to my name but still i'm pretty much doing the same things that those people are doing and all of that has been possible because i have been proactive enough to show my enthusiasm uh, what i can what i'm capable of and i've also proved it at many instances and so showcasing your work and all is very important and the good thing about these times is everything is getting democratized like education is getting democratized and access to a lot of things are getting democratized so everybody has equal access or it's at least growing like compared to the last decade or the decades before that so it's a good time to be i would say and the importance of degrees or anything else is like lessening by the year so you should take uh, you should capitalize on this opportunity try to build up your skills and market your skills like market the shit out of it i would say <laughs> excellent so where can people find you i mean we've been talking about social media I mean, is that the best place to find you is that they, if they want to kind of be inspired by you as you uh, as you continue your journey Yeah, definitely linkedin and twitter are the two most uh, uh, places where i'm the most active so they can find me over there and connect with me i will put the uh, the relevant links into the show notes uh, sure. when we put this out well it's been a fantastic chat and um, obviously some really interesting points and and hopefully something that will inspire some people that are listening to this to, to 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 get involved and as you say kind of get get their 
get their stuff out there and 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 showcase themselves and some really great advice so so thanks very much for for taking the time and uh, let's keep in touch yeah, thank you Jason, for having me and inviting me over here as ever thanks for listening if you've enjoyed the show today i'd love it if you left a review shared it with your friends subscribed or followed the show on facebook instagram or linkedin 